When you're at the point where you're teetering on burnout, you're so fatigued, the last thing that you do is make good decisions for yourself, you know? And the last thing you can think of if somebody even asks you, what do you need? What can I help you with? You're so overwhelmed at that point. Your amygdala is so hijacked that you're like, I don't even know where to start. I don't even know what I need. Welcome to the Parenting ADHD Podcast, where I share insights and strategies on raising kids with ADHD straight from the trenches. I'm your host, Penny Williams. I'm a parenting coach, author, ADHD-aholic, and mindset mama, honored to guide you on the journey of raising your atypical kid. Let's get started. Welcome back to the Parenting ADHD Podcast. I'm really excited today to be talking to Shelly Togelski about radical self-care and her new book, Sit Down to Rise Up. Thanks for being here, Shelly. Do you want to start by introducing yourself for everyone listening? Sure, definitely. Thank you so much for having me. So I am a reformed corporate executive. I spent uh, 20 years in the corporate space. And about six years ago, I decided to leave that world behind to pursue my passion for teaching meditation and mindfulness. And I found myself in a space that I originally wasn't necessarily planning on spending most of my time in, which is in the trauma-informed mindfulness Mm -hmm. space, working specifically with individuals who are in underserved populations, individuals who are in situations that are traumatic, like situations of gun violence or mass shootings, or even refugees and uh, refugee aid workers who take care of them. And as the uh, pandemic really came about, I found myself working more and more as well in the space with first responders and other individuals who were really not tending to themselves, but really focusing on tending to others. So, you know, I, I have several different certifications, but my core practice, the one that I personally practice the most is really steeped in compassion based resilience training and learning really how to continue to expand our heart centers and have compassion but not be a victim of empathy fatigue, which can ultimately lead to burnout and to, you know, just complete stress and breakdown. Yeah, absolutely. Such great work and so needed right now for sure. And I think it has been for a long time. Why don't we start with defining what self-care is? Because I think a lot of people have a really narrow idea of what we mean when we talk about self-care. Sure. So self-care really, first of all, let me just start by saying that the term self-care has been hijacked by the industrial wellness complex, certainly in the last 25, 30 years, you know, by beauty brands, by health food and gyms and everything else under the sun that somebody's trying to sell you for that kind of quick fix to feel good. Mm-hmm. But self-care is actually born out of a struggle for survival. You know, today we it's synonymous with thinking about how, how can we thrive and really at its core, self-care was really born from the need to just survive, not to thrive. 
from the feminist movement, from the civil rights movement and populations that really were incredibly, you know, just completely disenfranchised and couldn't count on the system to help them survive. So they sort of had to create their own systems and put their own safety nets in place in order to be able to just merely survive in this world that we're living in. And so if we kind of use that as the basis of like where self-care came from, then we can understand that self-care is not indulgent. It's not self-indulgent. It's not selfish, but rather it's something that is hard work and that it's sustainable work and that it is really work that is beyond just the individual. We can really expand our definition of the self, right? The self that we think of as just existing in this physical body to extend beyond the individual and to include our family, our community, the natural world, and all sentient beings. And what I write about in my book, Sit Down to Rise Up, is that, you know, the best version of the world has to start with the best version of us. Yeah. And for many people, that kind of thought is very lofty. Certainly, if you're a caretaker or if you're a parent, or especially if you're dealing with, you know, with extenuating circumstances at home, you're not even necessarily thinking about the best version of the world per se, right? You're thinking about how do I just get to the best version of what my home life can look like. Mm -hmm. But really, we have to kind of look at it from a very holistic, with a W, a holistic perspective of the world itself. So I rest on really this like beautiful Buddhist proverb that is that we need to tend to the area of the garden that we can reach. And if we each do that, if we each just focus on tending to the areas of our garden, right? Not looking at somebody else's garden, not looking at the neighbor's garden or the area of the garden we can't reach at this moment because we're incapacitated or there's an obstacle there. And we just focus on that, on making that the best that it can be and showing up for that then I think, you know, the world could really look very different. So self-care really, you know, is not necessarily always fun work. It's actually, it can be really hard work. It can mean getting rid of some of the vices that you might be relying on to, you know, sort of escape what it is that you're trying to escape from. Yeah. Things like exercise, you know, and things like even just a daily meditation practice that doesn't, you know, yield results overnight. You know, going to the gym one time doesn't mean you're going to walk out with a six pack immediately. Mm -hmm. And certainly practicing a 12 minute meditation may make you feel better in the moment, but certainly in, you know, a few minutes, you can find yourself right back where you started if you don't continue to really strengthen those neural pathways. And so, so self-care is really the way that I like to frame it is, as my friend Dr. Amishi Jot references it, it's about building not resilience, but about building pre-resilience. And it's not about focusing on recovery, but it's about focusing on pre-covery. What comes before? Mm-hmm. How do we handle a situation and we meet the moment, the moment of trauma, the moment of stress, of duress, of outrage, and be as prepared as we can be for it, mentally, physically, and most importantly, communally, you know? Yeah. That part is really important as well. So I think going back to, you know, the notion that self-care is not individualistic, that it is communal. It has to be communal because the self extends beyond just this physical body. And that also means that we have to rely on each other. We have to be able to build these systems even if they're kind of like these closed loop, hyper local systems where 
there are other people that are helping us, helping us enact these measures of self-care to help build, you know, that resilience bank account, if you will, or pre-zillions. But we need to be able to create these systems that make it easier for us to ask for help and maybe even beyond normalizing asking for help, make it so that people can identify when we need help and maybe we get to the point where we don't need to ask for help, you know? Yeah. I love that you brought up that it's not about the individual per se, because, you know, in a family unit, when mom, for instance, takes care of herself, she's in a better place to take care of her kids. Right. And what we find is that we have this culture that says you must sacrifice yourself as a parent for your child. You must give all of yourself in order to do the best you can for your child. And it's actually not true. It's not even possible. Yeah. And it's so maddening to me because we still are very much perpetuating that idea. And a lot of self-care is general wellness, like my emotional health. You know, for me, it was a lot of letting go of things that really didn't matter, really focusing on stress and managing stress in a way that it was going to be less negatively impactful. But when I started really taking better care of myself, mostly mentally and emotionally at the start, I could see the differences in my family. I could see the differences in my house because I, you know, have a certain energy that I'm giving off, right? And they're taking that in and they're interpreting it. And, you know, if mom's exhausted and frustrated and just on her last leg or dad, you're not going to do very well for your kid in that moment, right? So it's really this whole picture of all of us. It's a communal thing. And I love that you really are bringing that out. Yeah. I mean, well, I think that also, you know, the other component of this, when I say communal self-care, you know, that sounds nice and lofty and people are like, yeah, yeah, you know, we rely on each other and I have my my girl squad and I've got my friends and I have this, but that's really not what I'm talking about when I say communal care at all. What I'm talking about when I mention communal care is formalized communal care, formalized self-care plans. Mm. So what I really, you know, teach and I've now, you know, worked with these parameters, with these templates, and I've taught many, many workshops from spaces like I said, with first responders, but also with social justice and political activists, for example, who also are like always on the brink of burnout and fatigue, I basically teach them how to create formalized self-care plans, self-care plans that are incredibly precise and that they are, if you can imagine it, sort of the fire extinguishers that are in the glass that says break in case of emergency. Because what oftentimes happens is that when you're at the point of depletion, when you're at the point where you're teetering on burnout, you're so fatigued, the last thing that you do is make good decisions for yourself, you know? And the last thing you can think of if somebody even asks you, on the off chance, you know, what do you need? What can I help you with? You're so overwhelmed at that point. Your amygdala is so hijacked that you're like, I don't even know where to start. I don't even know what I need, you know? But if you have something that's prepared, that's formalized first and foremost as a self-care plan, and you made the effort and the attempt, not just attempt, but the effort actually to share that self-care plan with at least one other person and say, hey, look, these are the things that I need to enact on a daily, weekly, 
monthly, annual basis, right? So something on a daily basis might be meditation for 10 minutes or a walk, you know, or something like physical and something weekly might be therapy sessions and something annually, maybe something like a, a mammogram, right? Like biometric types of things that we also kind of put off, put off, yeah. put off until something goes wrong, right? Yeah. And so by formalizing this and sharing it with at least one other person with kind of like a self-care buddy who does the same thing, we suddenly start to build in these levels of accountability. We suddenly start to build in these measures of motivation because we as caretakers are certainly the types of individuals that would rather let ourselves down than let anybody else down, right? So if we make a promise to somebody else, hey, I'm going to do this on a daily basis, and they call and say, hey, how did that go? Or did you get that done? We won't want to let them down. But if it's just us, and we can press the snooze button for another nine minutes, then we'll do it, you know? Exactly. So it's really about that formalization. What I personally did, and I share this story when I was a single mother and I was going through a lot of health or issues personally, losing my vision, you know, I was just had been diagnosed with a degenerative eye disease and told that I would be blind. And, you know, there was just a lot going on in my life at the time. And I had a toddler, you know, my son is 19 now, but he was a toddler then. And I just knew I couldn't get by on my own. And relying on people just saying things like, take care of yourself or let me know if you need anything was just not enough for me. I was like, no, no, no. I need to know who's going to be there and I need to not feel bad about asking for help. So I gathered, you know, half a dozen women, some who were friends, some who were like acquaintances, you know, that later obviously became really good friends. But we all sat together at my house one day and created self-care plans for ourselves and started to realize that the things that I need help with, you know, or that I'm suffering from, somebody else could fill that need. And the thing that that person needs, I could do for them. And, you know, and it was this beautiful sort of ecosystem, the symbiotic ecosystem that evolved, which is really incredible, you know, and that created this safety net for me that created this place where there was mutual aid that could be enacted. And it was mutually beneficial. And I didn't always feel like I was the one sucking the life out of everybody, you know, but rather that I was also able to contribute in some way to my community of care. And the beautiful thing about it was that I didn't, again, have to necessarily always ask, like people could identify, we did regular check-ins as a group and somebody would say, hey, you seem really stressed out, like what can I take off your plate versus me going to somebody and saying like, oh, this is what's happening and, you know, I've deferred it now for two weeks so it's even worse than it was before and I really need help with this. So these are the kind of formalizations and the structure, the infrastructure that I talk really deeply about in my book and that I teach in workshops all over the country. I love that so much. It is so needed. Like it is so needed. We need to have a way to lean on each other without feeling bad about it. And by formalizing that plan in the way that you're talking about, we're removing that from the equation. And, you know, you don't have to always ask for help. Sometimes you're giving it and sometimes people are offering it. And that's really sort of that balance that I think we need. And we tend to be so closed off, sort of. You know, there there are certainly people who are social and have lots of friends. There are people who are not so social and don't have really a framework. There are a lot of single parents who may not right. have any family right. around to support them. And so, 
you know, this is a way to sort of build that support Correct. when maybe it doesn't come so naturally to you. Yeah, exactly. Well, and I will say that it doesn't come naturally for anyone. And sometimes, to be honest with you, like, even if you do live near family and support systems, it can be overwhelming to them, too, because you constantly are turning to the same people again and again and again, right? Right. And I think that sometimes also in family structures, like, you know, somebody always gets the brunt of it. So like the person who is deemed to be the strongest or who has their life the most together, you know, we don't feel as bad like asking mom to take the kids, you know, than as we would if we would be sort of more tempered about it, asking somebody else to do it on our behalf. So so I actually found that not relying per se, you know, even living next to my parents at the time that I was going through this, yes, of course, it was great to have them there. And it was important. They were an important reinforcement. And But they are also aging and they needed to take care of themselves as well. And so I didn't yeah. want this to become a burden for them either. And, you know, that was part of my own consideration of like, I need to find other women like me who are struggling in some way with just kind of keeping all the balls in the air and figuring out a really great ecosystem that we could continue to expand upon, right? Not just say like, okay, these are the five women in our group, but rather, you know, eventually that self-care community became 30 plus women strong. Amazing. So imagine that, you know, you have 30 women who are all on a regular basis sharing their self-care plan. And at the time, you know, there was no Google share drive. So we were just like (laughs) sending back and forth spreadsheets and emails. But we were able to really share with each other like, hey, you know, these are the things that I need help with this week. Like I, you know, have to make room for this doctor's appointment and I don't have who to take care of my son or somebody to pick him up and take him to karate or there's no way I'm going to be able to like make it in time for dinner. Can somebody make sure my kids have like lasagna on the table or whatever, a casserole, you know? Mm-hmm. And so there were all these beautiful ways that we were able to show up for each other. And it was like exactly what happens after there's a natural disaster, you know, having lived in Florida and lived through so many hurricanes, it's like suddenly the world just stops, like what kind of like what we saw during the pandemic yeah. and people are more willing to give help and to step up. And so what if we don't need natural disasters? What if life is just a natural disaster? Like every day, (laughs) create the conditions that are like, you know, post-disaster conditions that create this symbiosis and this leaning on each other, this safety net that I really feel like it kind of used to exist when our parents and grandparents were growing up, you know, and we sort of through the technological age and through industrialization and moving away and and et cetera, and certainly moving away from even religious organizations, you know, there, there are many, you know, positive reasons to move away from it. But there's also a lot of things that kind of like having that community yeah. that was either, you know, based around the church or the synagogue or the mosque was like gave to the community as well. Right. You know, so I think moving away from all of these things, there's this void, And so what do we fill it with, you know? And I think that really communities of care are the way to fill it. It's a system that really needs to be a pillar of every single household, every community, and something that's openly discussed. And then, you know, that way, I really do think that it starts to change and shift the culture of expectation of what we expect from people and, you know, also the stigma of asking for help. Yeah, It sounds so beautiful, and I hope we get there for sure. You know, one small self-care community at a time, that's what it takes. Like like you said earlier, if we tend to our garden, 
it will affect others. I want to talk for a second. Can you just kind of talk about how does someone get started with this? How does, let's just give an example, a single mom of a young kid Mm -hmm. who doesn't really have a lot of support right now. How does she find other people? How do you determine what should be part of your self-care plan? Well, so a self-care plan is you know, there's so many templates online and people always ask me like, what's your favorite template? And I say, well, what my favorite template what works for me isn't necessarily what will work for you. Mm-hmm. Some people are very, you know, sort of visual and they need something that's like colorful and charts and, you know, has like a color coded system. And some people are very like to do list oriented and they want something that is just really, you know, broken down in that kind of a manner. And so if you just go to Google and you Google self-care plan template, there will be, I promise you, thousands of different templates, PDFs that you can download and you know, JPEGs and ideas that you can sort of reach for. And you will find one or a few that resonate with you and that you feel like, okay, this visually makes sense to me or kind of I can wrap my head around it. And generally speaking, they all kind of point in the same direction in terms of what they ask you for. They ask you to sort of start putting down into different types of buckets what your self-care needs are or what your break in case of emergency, you know, contents of that glass are Mm -hmm. for different types of spaces like emotional well-being, social well-being, financial well-being, physical well-being, et cetera, et cetera. It also asks you usually to list, you know, the people that you can rely on and, you know, sort of what your intentions are that you want to start to really make sure that you're incorporating these specific intentions, not goals, but intentions into your life, right? As you're working towards this to kind of being better and being healthy and and to wellness, right? Into this presilience that we're we're talking about. How do you make sure that you're not just adding another thing to the to-do list, but rather that it's in sort of a stepping stone in pursuit of greater well-being. And so you start there. And once you sort of get to a place or arrive to a place where you have a plan that is structured, that is formalized on a piece of paper, you don't just stick it in a junk drawer in the kitchen or like, you know, under a (laughs) pile of mail, but rather I would say either start with one, the power of one, a friend, a person that you are an acquaintance with, somebody who you might be working with, somebody that maybe your child goes to school with and that person might also be a single mom. You know, just find at least one individual. Again, don't have to be friends with them. They could be an acquaintance. Many of the individuals in my self-care community were literally just acquaintances. I only knew them by first name and You know, I knew that they had their kid going to karate with my kid, like something like that, right? It wasn't any more than that in terms of like what connected us at that point. And what you find is that in that kind of space of vulnerability, suddenly you realize, wait a minute, I thought I was all alone in this. And it seems like everybody's feeling (laughs) the same way I am, right? Exactly. Once we start to share and talk about it. So basically, like you start there and... What I always tell people is like, look, when I say self-care community, people get overwhelmed and they're like, oh, I don't really know how to start. And it's really because we're like thinking about this thing that we supposedly don't know how to do. But we do these things all the time. If I would say to you, baby shower, or if I would say wedding shower, if I would say book club, or if I would say any other number of kind of gatherings or things 
that you surely at least once in your life have either planned or participated in, right? Mm -hmm. You would know what to do, more or less. You wouldn't feel as overwhelmed because it's familiar to you. We are, as you know, a species, we are afraid of the unknown. And so when I say community of care gathering, people are like, whoa, what is that? I don't know what that means. I don't have all the details. Therefore, I can't do it. And really, it's not dissimilar to any one of these other types of gatherings that you plan. You know, you could even now in, in this day and age do it on Zoom, right? I try to opt for and prefer in-person meetings because it's a better way to get to know each other. But I would look geographically at people who are in your geolocation because it is very hard to, besides mentally support, it is very hard to support somebody, you know, with tangible things if you're like a state over, right? Right. So I would geographically look at, you know, the people that are sort of proximate to me in my circles of influence, work, school, places of worship, et cetera. And I would just put out like a blanket invitation, just like you would for, again, like a book club or a gathering of an affinity group, you know, a knitting club or what have you. And just say, hey, I'm thinking about putting together this communal gathering. You could put it on, on my first one was put on Facebook events. And I just posted it and I had no idea who would show up. I really had no idea. And I was just really surprised when I saw that there was, you know, a dozen or so women that showed up. And eventually that this community continued to grow and grow because it spurred something in them. It spoke to them when they saw community of care or self-care community or safety net or, you know, whatever it is that you want to name it. They were like, oh, that's interesting. What is this? You know, and I wrote probably two or three sentences about the kind of ideal that was spawning this gathering and really inspiring it. And I think it touched a nerve with the people who needed to show up in that moment. Yeah. And so that's really how you start. You know, yes, it takes a moment of bravery. It takes write the Facebook event or the Eventbrite post or create the flyer or, you know, however it is that you want to do it. And I would say, you know, you can sit on it for a little while until you get that 15 second burst of courage if it seems really like overwhelming for you to do that or put yourself out there and just, um, you know, hit send at that point. And then once you kind of do that, you know, there's no looking back. And I think you'll be better for it. And I think it kind of grows on its own over time, too, because I may only have one or two friends or acquaintances to bring in, but they may have other people to bring in who also need this community of care And so even if the idea of finding 15 people (laughs) to be in this community of care is overwhelming, start with one. Like that's a good place to start. And it doesn't mean that it will stagnate there. It can grow as well. Years ago when my son was young, I started just by having coffee with one mom who I had actually worked with her for years and had no idea that we had similar challenges in parenting at all. And one day it came up and we said, oh, you know, we should meet once every couple of weeks and have coffee. And then she knew somebody else and then she knew somebody else. And there were four of us and we did it for several years. We got together and that's such a tiny aspect of what you're talking about, but it illustrates that you can start with just a seed (laughs) and you can move and build forward from there. Well, and that brings us full circle back to the garden, tending to the area of the garden Mm -hmm. that you reach. When you tend to the area of your garden, you get to choose in that area what you want to plant and what seeds you want to plant, right? And how they'll flourish. And we oftentimes discount the power of one. 
And you've just illustrated it so beautifully with the story that you told that really, if you just start with one and you're willing to be vulnerable, you know, just magical things can happen. Yeah, absolutely. Anything else you want to talk about before we close? Anything we haven't mentioned that feels important to you? Well, I mean, I do want to just let people know about an organization that I started at the beginning of the pandemic, which is very much based on these principles called Pandemic of Love. We were recognized by CNN Heroes last year, and Mm -hmm. website is pandemicoflove.com. And basically what it is, is it's a global mutual aid organization that assists people in need, financial needs mostly, sometimes other types of tangible needs like diapers, formula, wipes, Mm -hmm. you know, bills, certain bills that have to get paid, etc. And so if there's anyone that's listening to this that has financial constraints or needs and wants to fill out an application. It is, as I said, it's a mutual aid organization, so it's not a nonprofit. There's not a lot of red tape and bureaucracy. You fill out a form and you're matched with somebody in your community that can fulfill that need. So if you need a bill paid or if you need assistance with anything, you can fill out that application and you'll get connected to somebody. And then on the flip side, if you have excess or you have enough and you are willing to assist somebody in your community that might need help, there's also a form for people who want to connect with others. So that is so beautiful. I love that. I love that. And it breaks down barriers. You know, you're pulling people together from all over. Exactly. Amazing. Well, I've had such a wonderful time talking to you and learning more about self care and really getting inspired to do more, not just for myself, but for the self-care of others as well and building these communities of care. And for anyone listening, you can go to the show notes for this episode. I will link up Pandemic of Love as well as Shelly's website and book and any other resources and social media so that you can learn more from her and her work. Those show notes are at parentingadhdandautism.com slash 154 for episode 154. And again, Shelly, I just, I appreciate you so much and what you've shared here today with our audience. Thank you so much, Penny. I really appreciate you. And I am sending so much love to all of the parents that are out there listening. I know that it can be a tough road, but I think that if we go at it together, we can uh, make it a lot easier. Absolutely. With that, we'll end the episode and I'll see everyone next time. Thanks for joining me on the Parenting ADHD podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and share. And don't forget to check out my online courses, parent coaching, and mama retreats at parentingadhdandautism.com. 